Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Mitch Light of The Athletic. We will be talking Vanderbilt sports and about this coronavirus crisis and how it is and will affect things. We thank our presenting sponsor, Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center. Wellspire offers personal and professional development opportunities in a beautiful facility in the Gulch neighborhood. Stop by for an event with world-renowned speakers or host an off-site event that will wow your team or your clients. We thank our co-presenting sponsor, the Well Coffee House, which turns coffee into water and has a mission to bring clean water to the world. Today's news is presented by Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. Nothing new to report, but in case you missed it earlier, former Vanderbilt football coach Woody Woodenhofer has died. Woodenhofer was 77 and was head coach at Vanderbilt in the late 90s and early 2000s. So prayers and peace to the Woodenhofer family in their loss. I know he's a man who meant a lot to a lot of people, and we wish them the best in getting through this trying time. Our guest line on which Mitch Light appears is brought to you by Bowling Branch which was started by Vanderbilt graduate Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue what I was missing until I got Bowling Branch sheets. They are fair trade certified, meaning they were made under safe conditions by men and women, treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get these sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That's spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Mitch Light joins us. Mitch works now at The Athletic, where he's the editor for the state of Tennessee. Mitch, thanks for joining us today. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well, Chris, as I guess as well as any of us could be hoped to be, hoped to be doing during this uh, uh, strange time. And life at The Light household, it's full again. Your daughter is home from Vanderbilt although doing a lot of online classes and such. Your son, of course, is home. Uh, what's that been like just as the parent of a Vanderbilt student, and what's it been like witnessing it from that perspective? Yeah, well, I will uh, I will give my daughter credit. She's actually not in here right now in the bonus room uh, with me. I, I would tell her that, that she has handled this better than I thought she would. Um, you know, think back to your college days, the last, especially as a, you know, your first year as a freshman year, the last thing you want to do is have two or three months lopped off at, at the end. Um, so, you know, I've made jokes like on Saturday night when we were getting around to watch a TV show that, you know, just think what else you could be doing on a Saturday night. And, you know, I'm sure you'd just rather be home with us. And so she is, uh, she is, uh, she's managing, she's not the happiest camper, but doing fine. But yeah, so the, the, the lights are, are, are fine. My wife's a first grade teacher, so it's not like she can do any kind of like online teaching with her students. So, uh, uh, we're just, uh, staying, trying to stay busy. I'm a kindergarten and third grade teacher now. Uh, yeah, I, I saw a great, I mean, you probably saw this. Everyone's probably seen this. Like, um, I'm paraphrasing. I'll probably botch it. Something like, uh, homeschooling now. And, um, my two students got suspended for, uh, for fighting and the teacher got fired for drinking on the job. Right. I did yeah. see that. That was so perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, I hope the cabin fever doesn't drive us crazy all at some point. Uh, right now, frankly, I probably could have used the pause button a little bit on life, although this is not the way I hoped, but, um, boy, a lot of stuff has gone off the board since you and I talked, 
the NCAA tournament, missing that had to really hurt you because you are at heart a college basketball junkie. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely. I enjoy the tournament and everything that goes around it. You know, obviously having the SEC tournament here is fun. So that was the first domino to fall. And then just, you know, love college basketball. And um, I, you know, I, no, no, I don't think either of us are going to have any original thoughts on all this, but I just, I feel bad for the, you know, the, the players and the team, especially the seniors and, you know, a school like Rutgers that hadn't been since 1991 had a magical season. You know, they, they don't get a go. Um, teams like ETSU and Belmont that have already had already won their conference tournament. Now you could argue that, and Joe Rexroad wrote about this with both those schools, they at least had their March moment where they were able to, to, to cut the nets down and celebrate where a lot of teams weren't and hadn't finished their tournament yet. So yeah, just the whole thing, the whole thing obviously is unfortunate that from the sports part of it, it's just, uh, it's, it stinks that it happened. I guess, you know what, if it's probably better that the whole thing was canceled rather than this happened after the first weekend and then, then having to make the really difficult decision of, of, of canceling the rest of the tournament. Yeah, maybe so. Um, I could maybe not. Maybe so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I tend to think some basketball is better than none, but yeah. on the other hand, I did wonder this and maybe I missed it cause that's right when I left for vacation, but why didn't the NCA? I mean, you know they'd done the work, so you might as well come out with it. Why didn't they just go ahead and say, "Here's what the field of '68 would have looked like"? I mean, well, I it, I especially in like the one percent possibility that a tournament would have ever happened. But I just think that, like you said, Rutgers. I keep thinking, okay, they hadn't been to the tournament in forever. Don't you at least get that trophy to put on your mantle and say, "Hey, we made the field of '68." Yeah, that was my original thought, but I don't think they had done the work because the committee convenes like, you know, three or four days before midweek. So I think they had already decided to cancel the, the NCAA tournament by the time the committee would have convened. Not that they couldn't have done it remotely or anything like that. I, I was, you know, you heard arguments like that they had other things to worry about, but the committee, the actual committee members, I mean, I guess there's athletic directors, there, there's, you know, there are there, administrators on there that had their hands full with what was going on in their respective Campuses. So I think the argument too was that the, these uh, the people, the committee members, had more important things to worry about. But that, you know, like, even though we knew the tournament wouldn't be played, it's like you, you hang a banner. You know, every school's got an NCAA tournament year. You know, the years they made it, and you let Rutgers uh, uh, hang a banner. You let Kansas put that next year. Everyone who made it, they the, those programs deserve, uh, you know, to at least know that they made it. Yeah, and. After I asked the question, I started thinking, well, you have a lot of ADs and they've got their own messes to take care of. And so I get it, but I still think you could have figured out a way. But nonetheless, I think the big thing I've got my own right now, well, obviously the college football season, how that could be affected. We'll get to that in the mailbag. But baseball is really the one that intrigues me right now with the roster situations and with the draft or not having the draft. Do you have any ideas and I look, we're all spitballing, but what do you think happens with all that in terms of baseball and in terms of next year? Yeah, that's a good question. And and I mean, none of us know, uh, like you said, we're all kind of guessing here. Um, you know, there's, I, I've been following it pretty closely. I don't, I don't think anything's official, but it seems like they're, they are going to let spring athletes, um, have another year of eligibility, but baseball is a huge, uh, I think they have to expand roster sizes if they're going to do that. There's, there's no way you can constrict, um, cause you can't tell these kids to come back and then tell the schools they can't go over thir- was it 35 or 36. 
and then what do you do there? You tell some freshmen to move on. Well, we're the, you know, there, there's, there's, there's five classes. I know there's not a lot of seniors in college baseball. Um, and not every roster spots filled, but there's, there's, you can't have five classes of student athletes in a four year, you know, it, it jammed into 35 spots or whatever. Um, so I think they've got to do that. And, you know, there's a lot of different theories on what they can do with scholarship money, wh whether like, let's say you, a kid was on getting 50% scholarship uh, this year as a senior in 2020, let him keep 50% next year. And that doesn't affect your 11.7. You know, I, I think there's, there's, there's ways you can be creative about that. Um, so I think they'll figure something out. They've got plenty of time to figure it out. Um, I know Tim Corbin's, you know, keep you know, keeping an eye on that and it'll, it'll be something that will affect his program, you know, who comes back next year. And, it, and it's not just guys letting seniors back. It's will everyone get another year of eligibility? Not, you know, we'll use Austin Martin as an example, highly unlikely that he comes back, but, if he's back as a junior next year, then he has that year of bargaining. He's got that that, that leverage he can use. That that's why juniors leave because of that year of leverage. Whereas if he's a senior, then he's definitely not coming back. So you can take any of the Vanderbilt, you know, juniors this year. If they come back as juniors again next year, um, then maybe some of them will come back where normally they would not be coming back. You have the potential if this played out right for some really super teams next year. I mean, college baseball, like if it all panned out to where you had stacked rosters where Austin Martins and guys like that came back and then you had the freshmen, holy cow, you could have some, some phenomenal teams. Yeah, uh, definitely. And then, but you also, you got some, you know, especially teams like Vanderbilt and all, all the top teams, there's the, those, you know, playing time is coveted and limited and you, you probably, you'd have some, t some guys that this year, maybe the writing was on the wall where they, they, they could already see that they maybe weren't going to play as much. And then they leave. And then, you know, there's a trickle down where a bunch of top tier kids from top tier schools drop down, not, not a level as far as like division two, as far as, you know, maybe from a top 10 program to a top 50 program. So there's just, there'd be that many more talented players in college baseball next year. Percentage chance that we see a fall baseball season for college. Zero. Zero. Okay, I would have said probably less than ten. Um, I mean, I would. I don't know if it's zero. It's still being talked about a little bit, but I agree with you. I tend to think that it's unlikely. The other thing that I keep thinking about is the transfer thing, and if the one-time transfer rule goes through, uh, between that and just the chaos that's going on right now, and I wonder, like, how it affects kids that have gone home now for the school year. Are they more likely to sit and think, man, I, I miss home. I'd like to go play to school a little closer. That to me is the can of worms that gets open next is how does the virus and the absence affect all that combined with what the NCA could do with changing its transfer rule for a one-time exception. Where do you think all this is headed? Yeah, I don't no idea. And that's a good point. I mean, kids are, you know, in different frame of minds when they're at home rather than when when they're in school, um, they don't, they can't go visit other places. So maybe you were towards transferring and now well, I can't go visit that school. So I'm not going to go, uh, uh, I might not transfer. There's another, there's eligibility issues too. This doesn't really uh, affect Vanderbilt, but with incoming freshmen, there are a lot of schools out there that have kids who need to get a certain test score or junior college kids that need to finish classes and stuff. Um, and kids can't be monitored as closely, you know, all schools, especially Vanderbilt, they've got, 
There's a lot of tutors. They've got academic advisors. They need to be sure you're on track. Well, when you're doing your stuff at home, there's, you don't, you know, I'm sure there's correspondence and stuff like that, but you're not as closely monitored. So there's a huge eligibility issue too um, that will affect kids, not just incoming freshmen and kids already in school. Well, we're all at the point where we're recycling the same conversations because what else are we going to do at this point? And college football, again, is going to be one we'll get into in a minute and how that could be affected. But give me two or three under the radar or sort of underrated storylines that maybe aren't being talked about enough with all these things. Uh, well, I, I think I just mentioned one of them is the incoming freshman and eligibility. Again, that doesn't really affect Vanderbilt, but there's a lot of kids that um, – um, you know, need to get better test scores, uh, don't get eligible until maybe uh, a summer school class or, or, you know, junior college kids that, that don't get eligible until a July semester or anything like that. So um, that's big. And I, I think the spring basketball recruiting is huge because you, you that's one reason also you haven't seen as many turnovers. I don't think there's any power five job that's turned over. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. And, you know, a school like Vanderbilt was probably with losing some transfers like Matthew Moyer and, and uh, Otan Jankovic was probably going to try and sign a guy to a player or two in the spring. I, I don't know that to be the case, but uh, there's no visits. And, you know, a lot of kids sign in the spring after having you know good senior season. So I, I think the eligibility issue for incoming freshmen and, and not just the, like the transfer stuff you talked about, but but coaches filling out their rosters with freshmen in, in spring signing. You said before the podcast, before we broadcast, that you're maybe busier than you've been ever at the athletic. Explain that. Well, it just it's sort of circumstance. A couple of things is you know there's no games to really write about, um, but we are as a staff, as a company, we are we are really embarking on a huge like a lot of projects, evergreen projects. Um, so many different ideas, a lot of great ideas. If you check out the athletic across all cities and in, 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 in sports, there's a lot of good stuff coming out. Like we're working, the athletic staff right now in Nashville is working on a Nashville hall of fame, putting together a 25 member hall of fame of Nashville sports. So just like projects like that. And then just editing stories that have been in the hopper for weeks right before we um, got on. I'm editing a story on the Beale Street Flippers. If anybody has seen them perform uh, on Beale Street in NBA games, that's a really long feature. So um, it's been good. It's been good for me, like I said, keeping busy since we're pretty much uh, stuck at home. So, uh, you know, we, we don't know how long this is going to last at The Athletic. We're trying to keep spitting out good content. And, you know, so far we have. You saw Joe Rex wrote today, wrote something on the uh, 2006 NCAA tournament, Michigan State double overtime game over Kentucky. There's a big series going around about the best uh, NCAA tournament games, um, you know, I've ever covered for the college basketball writers. So that's an example of the, the evergreen type com content that that the athletics uh, kind of trying to spit out over the next uh, few weeks or, or month. Yeah, that is the one bright spot in all this is now. I always get requests, why don't you have so-and-so on the podcast about such-and-such? And I'm like, well, I usually got my hands full during the season, with, especially now with Vanderbilt baseball going so late into the year, and then all of a sudden, first week of August, camp starts. I've really got maybe five, six free weeks. And I, that's the one bright spot in all this, I think, for sports journalism, is now all the ideas and things I've thought about doing or long-form pieces or anything like that. Now, all of a sudden, uh, now my issue is going to be as a freelancer finding work other places to pick up for it. Maybe that gets in the way. But I do think in a way that could be the bright spot is, like you said, these evergreen projects and things 
that you're like, oh, man, I'd love to do this if I ever have the time. Well, now, uh, in some ways, we have more time than ever. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the good and the bad. Obviously, we'd rather be having games going on, but there there is a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of create creativity out there, a lot of good ideas. And uh, so, yeah, I've, like I said, it's it's been great for me just keeping busy. Okay, I'm going to throw you a hypothetical. Let's say the next 12 months or maybe 11 months, maybe by start of college baseball next year, they're ready to go. But let's say you go basically a year with no sports. What will you have missed the most from a media standpoint, and what will you have missed the most just from a sports fan standpoint? Um, good question. Um, I love postseason college baseball. Um, not just, you know, watching Vanderbilt. I love that all the games are on now and love watching it and, you know, watching college world series. Um, I don't know if that's what I miss the most as a fan. Um, I would say college football Saturdays, just, you know, being at games, working the Vanderbilt games and then coming home and watching big games on Saturday night or vice versa, watching big games during the day. Um, I'm kind of an equal opportunity. You know, I do love college basketball, but I like, you know, I love all sports and, Love baseball, big Yankee fan. Um, so I'm my cop out there is maybe as a, I, I guess I'll say postseason college baseball from a media standpoint, um, probably college football. Well, I think college baseball. One of the things that I would will really miss this year. I thought that the convergence of the draft in Omaha with the World Series and particularly with what was a really, really, really strong college class as strong as I remember in a while and particularly on the pitching end to me that's one of the things that I think I will miss the most because I really thought a I thought college baseball from a national standpoint had really started to get momentum and especially around here and b you throw in the draft with that the draft has gotten more coverage in recent years people have gotten into that a little bit more I really hate the missed opportunity that is going to go off the board for that. Now, I think that is one of the bigger regrets that I will have is that we miss seeing how that would have played out. Yeah. Ho- hopefully we just pick that up and next year, you know, I'm sure the draft will be in Omaha next year, but you're right. Uh, yeah. I, college baseball gains momentum every year and, and um, it gets bigger and bigger. I, I don't think it'll ever get to the point where it's, you know, uh, obviously, it won't get to the point where it's college football. It won't get to the point of college basketball either, although, although college basketball's kind of declining in, in, um, in interest over the years. But um, I, I think college baseball has has grown tremendously. ESPN's played a big role in that. They're, you know, the SEC network, now the ACC network, when they decided to start televising all games, all all the tournament games, that was a huge boost for the sport. Um, the Players making it from the draft to the majors quicker has added interest from Major League Baseball fans. So you're right. From all different angles, the sport has been growing. And this is this is a a blow. Hopefully, it's just a you know a temporary blow, and then it can pick up its momentum uh, next year. Yeah. And on the other hand, if they if they don't have a draft and all the things we talked about come true, then holy cow, next year's draft would be crazy. Yeah, I can't imagine there's no draft. I, I don't know. I just can't imagine that there's no opportunity for kids to move on this year. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I I'm having a hard time yeah. believing that myself, but it's it's been out there. So right. let's go to the mailbag, which is sponsored by Vanderbilt Fan and Independent Insurance Agent Josh Minton of Brentwood. If you need home, auto, motorcycle, renters, landlord, life, or commercial insurance, 
Josh is a guy to contact. Call him at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Facebook at J.D. Minton HQ. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. I think you'll be pleased. Mr. Vandy says, do you think the football season could be in danger from the virus? I the re, I I just don't know. And my son asked me that before, and I was like, I don't know. And I said, I'm not trying to be short. Like I just, who knows? My guess is no. Um, but we just don't know. This is unprecedented on so many levels, and I hope we can just start, kind of be patient. I know a lot of people have different opinions on things, but I, I'm of the opinion we just need to be patient and stay at home for several weeks at least or longer, and let this thing do, not run its course. Not like it's going to end but uh, i think we'd be making a big mistake if we tried to get back to business as usual in the next few weeks so hopefully obviously we want all of us want college football back um, but i think anyone who says they know doesn't they're just guessing yeah i mean we're we're all guessing so right uh raiders 1967 says several threads in the war room relate to discussions at great view athletes and memorable games what does mitch consider to be the most significant victory in basketball and most significant victory in football in the history of Vanderbilt athletics? Well, that's a good question. Significant. So not like that. You know, we obviously have talked a lot about the Shane Foster game as a great moment. Significant victory. Uh, I mean, you could go back decades. Um, so I'm kind of stalling here. Um, I'm thinking football. football. I'll, I'll help you out. They, they had like the LSU game and what was it, 33? And they also had, was it they tied Michigan back like turn of the century? I mean, I, yeah, I'm not. Modern day though. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I mean, modern day, I, I, you're, you're listening short. It's hard not to say 2008. Uh, I mean, 2005 Tennessee game. But I actually think the 2011 Tennessee game at home James Franklin first year was probably more significant because um it just I don't know it felt like a bigger the streak ending was huge but it just felt like there was moment more momentum with the James Franklin win and that tr- turned out to be true so I I think that was as big of a win as the school has had. I mean, the Kentucky win in 2008 to get bowl eligible, to get that monkey off your back was very important as well. Basketball, you know, it's harder to say because there's so many more games. Um, You know, getting to Sweet 16 games are always big. Um, There's been a lot of regular season. Here's one. The Tennessee game... In 2004, where Matt Fridge had that big second half that basically, you know, I guess this isn't true because at the time we all thought, and this is before, you know, I mean, this is 2004, obviously the internet was around, but we didn't, I I don't think at that point we had as much information about the bubble and all that. The thinking was that Vanderbilt needed to win that game to make the NCAA tournament, ended up going eight and eight in the SEC that year. Um, but then had two good wins in the SEC tournament, or one good win, beat a really good Mississippi State team. So let's say Vanderbilt does not beat Tennessee in that game in 2004, finishes 7-9, and nine, then their draw in the SEC tournament is different, and they don't have the opportunity to beat a Mississippi State. So let's say they don't make the tournament there, then Kevin Stallings might get fired. Well, they win that game, end up going to Sweet 16, and then 
have two okay years, probably one disappointing year, and then embark on a, a run of seven tournaments in 11 years. So you, I know there's a lot of differing opinion on Kevin Stallings, but seven, he had a great run of seven and 11. So I think that win over Tennessee for what it led to was very impactful. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll give you another one. For basketball, I think that the Shane Foster tip-in to beat Tennessee in what was it, the second conference game yes. of 07-08. They're 0-1, I think, at that point. I believe from memory lost they had lost at Auburn. And that was – they'd lost, I think, to Appalachian State a couple weeks before and, and somebody else. Furman, I think. Yeah, Furman. Yeah, App, State, App State maybe in the tournament and then Furman at home. Yeah, you could just feel it in the air that, like, he was on thin ice. And then I – that happens, and, and ever since Byers missed that shot and Foster tipped it in, I mean, it seemed like it really changed the next, I don't know, the trajectory of the program for the, the next several years at that point because that's when they really started, got on that roll where they made the tournament most every year. And I wonder if that tipping doesn't happen, then how does that go? Do they right. do they lose hard? And I'm not going to say pack it in, but – it's it's easier to play with a little pep in your step and some things going your way than when you're you're on a losing streak and you got some bad losses and you start to let self doubt creep in. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt that was a big one. You, you know, you can find a lot of regular season basketball games that really change the momentum uh, both ways. So you can find you know. So, but I think you're right. I think that the Tennessee game I mentioned in '04 and that, and that Tennessee game um, that that you referenced was very important as well. Yeah, boy, it's hard to pinpoint one. I mean, I would say the easy one is if Jeff Green gets called for traveling, then they're in the Elite Eight at a minimum, and God knows what happens from there. That would have been was already a great season to get to the Sweet. Like, I'm yeah. not, I'm not downplaying the significance of that, but it wasn't. You know, that that was already a great, a memorable season. No, but here's the significance. They'd never gotten further than the Elite Eight, and they right. at least get there again. And it's a different environment because you can win more games to get there. I think one that, in hindsight, I appreciate this a lot more. I don't know that it was significant in a way that like it, it got them anywhere, but I think winning the SEC tournament, beating that Kentucky team, that was, frankly, one of the last dominant college basketball teams I remember. Again, it didn't carry significance with it in the way I think the question meant, but in terms of just a skin to have and, and what you did and something to show how good that team really was, I think that win to get the SEC tournament that year was a big one, too. Yeah, definitely. And that was a great Vanderbilt basketball team that you know lost a close game to Wisconsin, a good Wisconsin team, and you know I was... You want to talk about, and this isn't a shot at John Jenkins, had a great career, but I forgot the guard for Wisconsin. That game basically came down to two big shots. Wisconsin's All-American hit it, and Vanderbilt's All-American didn't. You know, there's obviously a lot of other plays there, uh, but that was a great Vanderbilt team, and, and, and a, you know, like you said, a great win over a Kentucky team uh, that was just loaded with future NBA players. You know, the Western Michigan one, it wouldn't be most significant, but winning that game in the tournament, that snapped a little bit of a drought where they hadn't won one in a while, too. Yeah. Yep, and that was obviously led to the NC State game, too. Yeah, which I think in terms of best games I've ever seen, boy, that's on the top five of my list is involves Vanderbilt. I've gone back and watched that in several, several times. Uh, today in The Athletic, Josh Cooper, who was uh, an editor for The Athletic in Los Angeles, who was a sports editor of The Hustler that year, uh, has a Q&A with Matt Frege up uh, 
uh, about that specific game. So uh, it was good stuff, good fun to relive that moment. Football, I'll give you a significant one. I think that winning the Music City Bowl in 08, you may have alluded to it, but not by name. Just getting that that losing streak over was a big one. Yeah, not just not just to win the bowl game, but to have a winning season. That strat, that strat, excuse me, that snapped the streak back to 82 as far as consecutive losing seasons. So, yeah, it was important to make a bowl game, but it was almost more important to snap that streak of losing seasons. And I think 05 Tennessee, I think you mentioned that one too. That yeah. was one you just felt like they had lost so many games in that series in the last minute or two, and it just felt like it was inevitable that, that something would happen down the stretch of all those games that they were just going to lose, and you just always felt that was going to end. That felt like the moment that all of a sudden when they get that interception in the end zone to basically end that game – it just seemed like it broke a curse that hung over that program for so long that I think, and, and players probably don't feel this way, but but certainly watching it from afar, it felt like that kind of laid the groundwork that, hey, the b- better things might be ahead for them. It took a while longer than we thought, but I think that was a big one too. Yeah, it just relieved some pressure. Like, you know, you mentioned the players feel the pressure of an individual streak. Who knows? We talked about a lot with the basketball team this year, the, the losing streak. You know, you could say that didn't really matter, but it did matter. And everyone kind of felt it and it was a different kind of streak. But once you finally defeated Tennessee, then you didn't have to worry about it. You didn't have to answer the questions in the coming years. And, and there was that believability as a program uh, because, OK, not that this is that tangible, but like I'm on the sidelines for games. I'm standing there. You, you can kind of get a, a vibe of games and whether or not guys or the people on the sideline really believe something's going to happen. And, and, and I would, you know, I wasn't doing the job back then, but my guess is once that happened, the program just had a believability that it could beat Tennessee. If I'm going baseball, there's two that stand out to me. One obviously is winning the national title in 14, but I think I wouldn't say one B, but maybe two would be just beating Oregon state and getting to Omaha because that was a hurdle that, for several years, they just never could get past. Yeah, and, uh, obviously the the Tennessee game and and uh, the the Worth Scott game was you know Tim Corbin always brings that up for big one of the biggest wins. To talk about believability and and getting you know changing the the vibe around a program. So that obviously kick started things. And then yeah, I think Oregon State. You know, winning the national title was great, but you can still have a great program um, and not win a national title finally getting to Omaha because the pressure was starting to mount. They, they had some good teams, great recruiting classes that hadn't done it yet. And it just felt like once they broke that door down in 2011, um, that it was sort of like, okay, this hurdle has been, you know, you jumped over that hurdle. Um, that's not, that's not weighing you down in future years. Um, like it had been before they got to Omaha. Yeah, and I think that was sort of anticlimactic because they pretty much trounced Oregon State in those two games and probably got the gift of a maybe a weaker number one. I think Oregon State, of all the regional hosts, was one of the worst ones that year. I think they had some injuries, and, and it, it looked like a mismatch. But the program had sort of been in a malaise ever since they lose that final game to Michigan in 07. And really, I don't know. Almost, I'm not gonna say they sleptwalked through 08 and 09, but it kind of felt that way a little bit. Yeah, those were those were not great seasons. Uh, you know, Pedro Alvarez got hurt in 2008, and they got to get, go two and out in Arizona at Arizona State, and then the next year basically only get in. I think their SEC record was 12 and 17. Got into the tournament. 
uh, with a um, a deep run in the SEC tournament and then go up to Louisville and lose to Middle Tennessee, who's a higher seed in the first game. Now they went ahead and avenged that game and ended up getting to the regional final against Louisville. Then the program started to kind of regain its swagger the next year in 2010, beating Louisville, taking Florida State to three games, and that kind of set the table for 2011. Yeah, in 2010 also, that was when they lost all those games early. And remember, you look at the schedule and you just go, there's no way. Uh, that was like when their tournament streak was, you just figured, going to snap. And then they got hot. I remember watching them on a Sunday. I think Mikey Stremski hit a big home run in Baton Rouge. I think they got a series win down there. They end up kind of, I'm not going to say cruising in the NCAA tournament, but they got there way easier than they might expect it. Yeah. I think you're thinking about 2012. That was the year. Am the I? Game. Yeah. I think that was the year they lost all those games early, lost so much off talent. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're and right. And then rallied and yes in a homework against LSU um, and then swept Ole Miss in the final weekend and, and, and did well in the SEC tournament and got it, like you said, got in pretty safely. But uh, two weeks earlier, you thought they were probably on the outside looking in. No, you're definitely right because Jastrzemski and wasn't even there for 2010. But that those two seasons are, are kind of I get them mixed up because neither team was all that great. They were kind of that in between where they're loading up for the next cycle. But both those kind of set the stage for bigger things. 2010 set the stage for 2011 getting to Omaha, and then and then 2012 set it for that 2013 team that was just dominant until it ran into Louisville. And not to keep correcting you, Chris, but why not? Uh, he yes was there. Why he was not? A freshman. He was a freshman in 2010, by the way. Yastrzemski was. Yes, because remember he went down to Florida State for the super regional, and his dad played at Florida State. Oh, so that's there, right. Because he, he's well. It, what tripped me up was he he was a senior. I'd, I'd forgotten that for a minute. So yes, I, I actually remember all your mistakes in this podcast. <laughs> hey, that's what you're here for. Just it, would, to, take, it would be a very short podcast if you edited all out of your mistakes. In, in baseball, they call this mop-up, man. You get to come in and clean up all the messes I'm making today. Yes. Yeah. That, 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 did you go down to Tallahassee in 2010? Uh, no, I did not. I, uh, yeah, just, um, I just – I remember trying my, – my son was only six. Thinking, hey, maybe we'll drive down there, but I just didn't – yeah, did, did not go. That was one of the hottest environments I've ever been in. It was just miserable. Um, like anytime you stepped out of the press box – you know, thank God I led that sheltered existence for that weekend. Yeah. But it was it was absolute misery. But yeah, I mean, I remember. I think I've told this story before. I wrote down um, with, with the guy that was a fan and used to lead a lot of the tailgate stuff they did. I remember. It's funny how you process things different ways. He just he just looked at me. He's like, "Man, it just feels like this program's never going to get there." I was like, "That's funny because I kind of feel like the way they ended this season." it really set the table for for great things the next year. And that's pretty much exactly the way it went down. Yeah, I remember, um, you know, uh, my job at Athlon, I obviously dealt with freelancers around the country. And, and I, the the freelance, my Florida State writer, you knew I went to Vanderbilt and I followed the baseball team closely. I just remember him emailing me after he's like, the people at Florida State were blown away by Vanderbilt's pitching. You know, obviously Florida State won and that was that small park, but, you know, Sonny Gray and some of the guys they had coming back to that 2011 team. That's kind of when I was like, OK, maybe you know, this this team is pretty good. They're they are in pretty good shape. Yeah, I went down. I, I went with uh, my buddy, um, Nate, and then also went with Thomas Samuel, who was the sure. I think that was his last year's media relations director. Thomas was just one of the all time great guys and just so funny. Um 
as well. But we went out and ate with a bunch of Florida State fans. I, don't, I forget how we had that set up. Now I remember. I, I was talking with the Rivals guys down there, and we all got together, and, and I had some fans that met us for dinner. I just remember the night before that started, like you would talk to their fans, and the whole thing was like um, – Hey, it's it's so nice that Vandy can be down here, but they didn't think for a second that they were going to lose that regional. Yeah, they, that was kind of the height of you know Florida State. They seems like make it Omaha every year, and they 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 had and have a great home field advantage. Well, with that, I will let you go because I know you've got stuff to do. Tell folks about where they can follow you on Twitter and what you've got coming up at the Athletic, to which I'm a subscriber. Uh, well, at Athlon Mitch, and uh, like I said, we will have our Nashville Sports Now, now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now now it's my turn to correct your message. What was that what Twitter handle again? You said at Athlon Mitch. Oh, sorry. I'm daydreaming. Um, <laughs> yeah, not good. At Mitch Light. Um, thank you. I uh, wanted to make you feel good by screwing up myself. Exactly. And uh, we are working on a, uh, a Nashville Hall of Fame, which will be out in, uh, later this week, and maybe we do a pod next week. We can debate some of the, some of the vulnerable people who made it and did not make it. Well, and then not just that, but just the, yeah. I think that discussing the field alone would be very interesting. Yes, I agree. Mitch, take care and thank you for joining us today. All right, Chris. Take care, bud. He's Mitch Light. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast.